you know, what what happens to those four people who come every week and it really matters to them. Um, so I think that's where we have a real point of difference. And, you know, we're, we're out on the ground every single week doing stuff in small farming communities. We're not just sort of flying in and out. Um, but above all, um, we it's it's actually created a really nice network of people now who really all understand the concept, and that is bringing small farming communities together so that they can work on physical health, catch up regularly, but everybody knows that that makes you feel better and then that's naturally improving mental health and it's building resilience within our communities and and people obviously I mean I didn't I knew there was a need but I did not anticipate the extent of the need out there where people really are recognizing that something needs to be done for the health of people living in farming communities um, given the high rates of, of suicide and and that sort of thing Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we head to Mango Plara in rural New South Wales to chat with Ginny Stevens, the founder and general manager of Active Farmers. From humble beginnings as a regular fitness class in a farming community south of Wagga Wagga in 2015, Active Farmers has rapidly grown to 24 communities across Australia, including New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania and Victoria, with 30 communities planned by the end of 2018 and even bigger goals ahead. Ginny discusses growing up on a farm in Tasmania and at the age of 18 heading to work as a Jillaroo in the Northern Territory, learning about hard work and pushing beyond her comfort zone. Ginny started active farmers seeing the need for physical and mental support in rural communities, yet has been overwhelmed at the level of need and demand. And the interest in rural communities in building physical and mental fitness, social connection and addressing high levels of suicide. This is a thoughtful discussion about the critical role of the not-for-profit program as well as active farmers' success in gaining community and partner support and working towards making life in rural Australia better now and well into the future. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... What, I'm going to start off this interview, sort of right, uh, how I start all of these interviews. What were you like as a young girl? Where did you grow up and what were you like? So as a young girl, I grew up on a farm in northern Tassie. Yeah. And I loved my horses. In fact, I think I probably wanted to be a horse. My, <laughs> my family all, all teased me about, about that. So I loved my horses and the dogs and, and the farm and being outside, being active, um, you know, snow skiing, water skiing, uh, any any kind of sport I loved, and I just also have always loved um, small farming communities and people who who live in the community where you can walk down the street and you know who owns the corner store and you know who 
owns the post office and and um and there's that all the the different dynamics of each community i've always really enjoyed that that as a young girl yeah okay so what whereabouts in tasmania you were in northern tasmania were you well the farm is um on the Tamar River, so just oh, north okay. of Launceston. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I spent my yeah. – I lived in Launceston uh, as a child from about grade three until about grade eight. So I've, I've spent a lot of time and uh, for a, a year or two when I was at school, we did we did rowing on the Tamar River. So I know, the, I know that area quite well. So we – um, so I know Tassie quite well. Oh, so, okay. Yes, actually, I did a lot of rowing as well on the Tamar. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. So, um, so mm-hmm. at what what age did you move um, away from Tassie? When I left school, I headed straight from Tassie to the Northern Territory. So I was eighteen, and I worked on a cattle station as a jewellery for a year. Yeah, what was um, that like? That was a big opener. Um, it was the most amazing experience. I, I was feeling somewhat out of my depth heading up, barely being out of Tasmania in my life, and definitely not have and definitely with no experience of working on a on a station. But uh, I, it was just the most amazing year that I absolutely loved, and it was incredibly challenging. But I've definitely learned a lot about myself and. It definitely was so rewarding falling into bed every day um, after a lot of hard work um, on horseback all day or in the yards. And, you know, you fell into bed and felt like you'd achieved something every day. So, I, you know, I really enjoyed that year. Wow. I think everyone should do it, actually. Yeah. How, 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 where does that come from to go, I'm going to become a, a Jillaroo? And for anybody not, not from Australia, going from northern Tasmania up to the Northern Territory is a, a very long distance. So... How, how do you yes, get to yes, it is. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I used to read every Jillaroo book under the sun, and you know, I'd always loved horse riding and and the country and the farm. And, and um, my my dad actually said to me, "Why don't you go and be a Jillaroo?" And I said, "Don't be ridiculous, Dad. I can't do that." So he said, well, why not? I'm sure you can. So we got in touch with a recruiting agency, and I had a job within a week. So. Um, there was really no time to have a second thought, but yeah. it was basically just my parents have always encouraged me to do things that are a bit out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So, um, what does a jillaroo yeah. do? So, a jillaroo basically goes up or, and and works on a farm. They, you know, they'll be on horseback moving cattle from A to B, and then, you know, once you get to B, that's normally a set of yards. So you've got to process the cattle and you know separate the the ones that are going to be sold and, and you've got to do your branding of the calves and all that sort of thing. And then there's other other jobs to do like fencing and, and maintenance around the, the properties up there. So Jillaroo is a girl and a Jackaroo is a is a guy. Yes. And before we sort of move on to discussion about um, active farmers, what you said you learnt a lot about yourself being a Jillaroo. What did you learn? What what are some of the key takeaways? I think the key takeaways are that when my dad first said, "Why don't you go and do that?" I thought, "There's no way I can I can do that. Like, actually, I can't." And it was just giving. It was my first, you know, big try of going right outside of my comfort zone, and knowing that you know you can do a lot more than than you think you can if you if you try hard and and push yourself out out of what's comfortable and what's known. Um, and, and you know, just trusting that that you've 
you've learned as much as you can and, and if you try as much as you can that you know you can actually do more than, than you think um that, that's probably was yeah, my yeah, key no, takeaway that's great. And, that, and that's sort of that's remained with you uh since then it sounds like yeah 100 percent. Yeah, yeah definitely and you know i definitely know what hard work is like and, and i know what it feels like to to go to bed at night and feel like you've achieved something every day is also something that I really enjoyed and have tried to, you know, keep that within my life. Yeah. So work hard during the day and 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 um, yeah, and, and work beyond your comfort zone at, at times. Yeah, yeah, and just feel like you're, you know, you've achieved something and you've tried hard and and you've done your best and it's a very rewarding thing. Okay. Whereabouts are you living now? I live now with my on my husband's family farm, although I've just just become a partner, um, in the farm at Mangapla, which is just south of Wagga in southern New South Wales. Yeah. So what do you um, produce on the yeah. farm? What, what do you... So uh, we have some um, sheep, so, uh, doonies, which are mostly wool um, with a little bit more meat than a standard merino, and uh, we also have dryland cropping, so like cereals, wheat and, and oat and and um, oil seeds such as canola and, uh, you know, a bit of lucerne, which which the sheep eat, and, and we can also sell for hay. Yeah. What's it like uh, living and working on a farm, just for people who don't do that? Oh, well, it's it's great. You know, it, you live um, in a beautiful part of the world. Well, I mean, I, I think country Australia is the best place to live in the world. So, you know, you live in a great area and, you know, you sort of um, – but but you your life is your work and it all kind of rolls in into one and you know we love everything about the farm my my husband is is happy every day because he loves his job which is our life so it's a, it's different in the way that you know you go to work you drive there do your work and then you drive home it it never really stops um but you don't mind because you love it. If that is so that what, kind so, what of do you love about? It? Like, what, what's the what what what's the, what are the bits you love about it? Is it the how beautiful it is? Is it the the work you do? Is it that sense of fulfilment? Yeah. Look, I think you know, being being out in a in a nice open space where it's peaceful and you know the it this it's aesthetically nice um, is is for starters. You know, a, a great, a great thing. And then, you know, the, I think, but we particularly like the the livestock side of things. So working with animals, um, you know, using dogs to move the stock around, and you know, that sort of thing is very fulfilling if it all goes to plan. But just also watching what you can grow. So you know, you put the seed in the ground at the start of the year, and then by the end of the year you've got a, something you can eat. It's a it's a great thing to sort of be able to see the impact you're having all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really rewarding. But in saying that I don't you know, my job is working with active farmers. I don't work on the farm but mm-hmm. I sort of you see it. You know, help out when I can, but yeah. I you know, maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> you live the lifestyle. Yeah. So so where does yeah. where does active farmers come from? So where does where did that where does where do the seed of active farmers come from? Well, that so uh, just backtracking a little bit. Uh, when yeah, I finished as a delivery, I did I studied at um, Melbourne. I did ag science, and then I started off on an eight-year agribusiness banking career. So I moved around a lot of communities within the Riverina, and um, 
so during that time, I sort of observed, you know, although it is a fantastic place to live and your job is your life and, and all the rest, there are also other stresses that come with living in the country and on a farm. And so, you know, you have um, isolation is, is one big one where with improvements to technology, um, farmers are not having to employ as many people. Labor is also very expensive, so farms are trying to do more with less, which means there's less people around. The wives are often working now um, to generate a farm income, but also that you know they may have more choice and be career driven. So often the wife isn't home either. So the you know isolation is huge, and you know farmers buying farmers out, so farms are getting bigger. So there's less people in the community in general. Um, and you know, so that does that does drive isolation, which is not which is not great for mental mental health. And mm. then, you know, farmers are not as active as they used to be because of the technology makes life easier. Then you combine that with financial stress, um, seasonal conditions that fluctuate, commodity prices fluctuate. Um, so there are a lot of stresses that I have observed over time, um, but above all. The highest statistics around suicide and, and poor mental health is the most concerning. Um, and I, and you know, the light bulb moment was I was running around, going for a run around the farm here at Mangaplar and I was just reflecting on how sad I was that there is such a high prevalence of suicide and, and mental health issues amongst communities that I really love. And, and then I was reflecting on the fact that going back to the start, being part of a team sport actually had more influence on my life than I thought on reflection because, you know, at the time I thought, oh, it was, it's sport, it was fun. But you come together with your team regularly and you catch up and you have fun with your friends and you actually form a network of people who look out for each other. So if someone doesn't turn up to training, they might get a phone call or, you know, why didn't you come? Is everything okay? So there's always people noticing what each other are doing. So then I thought, well, perhaps I could deliver that team concept to farming communities and get them off the farm, get them moving, but more so get them catching up regularly and having that regular social interaction, which they don't have that much anymore. And then that's just, I know that that naturally improves mental health and it builds resilience within communities that I think we need to Mm. deal with the stresses that there are out there. That all of those that I've just mentioned, and then that's sort of when the light bulb moment went off. And um, but I didn't think it would be beyond Mangaplar. I thought yeah, it might okay. just be going doing something for my community, not the others. So, but, so when, but when you were first traveling, I'm oh, sorry. Um, so when you were first traveling around, so you were finding the some consistent patterns with the, like yes. you talked about those um, the, the mental health challenges and the physical fitness. Uh, challenges yes. and so so it's not like it was wasn't necessarily a localized issue it was a consistent issue you were finding as you were yeah. traveling around okay yeah a very consistent issue and i mean for example i really think that nine out of ten farmers have a bad back and mm. you know they don't have a strong core because they don't exercise in a way that strengthens their core and they may sit on a tractor which is not good for your back and that's not having a bad back doesn't sound that bad but you know, day after day being in pain, that's not great for your physical or mental health. Um, so that's just an example of one, one pattern that I definitely would see. Yeah. 
How did, when, when did you start to, I guess, for want of a better term, scale active farmers out to other regions? Well, I so March 2015, I started just here at Mangapa. Um, and so you used to catch up time, on a, a regular morning or was it? Yeah, three three times a week, yeah. yeah. And then I quickly expanded to Euron Quinty nearby and then I thought, well, do you know what, I, I'm doing four classes a week and I'm working full-time at Rabo. As a bank manager, I actually can't do any more. Mm. So I ran it like that for a while. And then Delta Agribusiness became a sponsor and a partner in January 17. Did you and go out so, looking for that? Did you go out looking for sponsors or did they find you? Well, it was a funny thing. I actually had another organisation approach me and said, do you have capacity to roll this out in other areas? And at the time I said, well, no, I don't. But then um, it did get me thinking that, oh, well, maybe maybe I could, maybe there is a, a market for it and maybe I should give it a go. And then I had a friend that worked at Delta who said, well, I reckon, I, I reckon Delta would support this. And um, so, yeah, so then I caught up with them and, and then we just started off in a, well, it's been a wonderful partnership um, that happened very, very quickly. Uh, they're extremely supportive of of me and and the concept and what we wanted to achieve and and um, that was really without their help it wouldn't have been possible and we now service twenty four small farming communities so we've had rapid growth in yeah, wow. in um, I was not, watching you know, a video. eighteen months yeah I was watching a video and I, I put down twenty plus locations and I was listening to video it said eighteen and so you're twenty four <laughs> so you are growing That's yeah great and so, so yeah we'll probably. We'll probably be to 30 um, by the end of the year. So end of, end of 2018, we'll probably be to 30. So does that come from word of mouth spreading or like where, where does, it, where does that, that spreading yeah, come from? Yeah, well, it, it came originally, you know, Delta had 25 stores at the time. We thought, okay, well, let's focus on where those stores are. So I'll drive around the countryside and um, I'll go and meet all the staff and then we'll keep an eye out for who might you know which communities could do with the service and which communities would it work in and that was how we originally started but now it's very much word of mouth um it's very much reactive i have a list of about 100 extra communities who have expressed interest in the program and um so now it's very reactive it's sort of the people that have a qualified personal trainer a community of people ready to go, probably where I focus my energy. Um, so the ones that are jumping up and down saying, please, can we have it, can we have it, you know, that they are probably service them first and, and um, you know, and that seems to trickle in every month at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very much word of mouth. I mean, we do a lot of social media as well, but I think word of mouth is so powerful and definitely our best means of um Getting the word out there. Yeah, and you've got obviously Delta's still involved, uh, and you've yeah. got other sponsors yeah. as well, and you've got some gold sponsors mm-hmm. and silver sponsors. And what 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 do you what do you see as the the thinking behind your sponsors becoming involved? So we became a not for profit organisation in May this year, mm-hmm. and that was a real turning point. Um, before that point in time, we had no other sponsors but Delta Ag because we were a company and it just wasn't the right fit for what what sponsors were looking for. And so as soon as we made that transition to be a not-for-profit, 
reorganised a black tie fundraising ball and lo and behold, um, we had lots of sponsors that were, you know, keen to, to be involved. A lot of them did have um, a relationship with, with Delta Ag and, and Jared Hines in particular to, you know, so that he could explain to them exactly what we're doing and what it means. Um, and he's a trusted, you know, trusted person. Um, but I, I feel like now they're sort of in, they, they really get it and I think, uh, are valuing, um, being part of it. And we like to try and refer to them as partners, mm. um, rather than just sponsors. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you, you get a sense that maybe initially they might, might be just involved, um, but, but getting more and more part of the, I guess, the family and being partners in. Yeah. In yeah. Business. I think so. I, yeah, there's been lots of other opportunities that have popped up since we had our ball um, that you know that have occurred from from that initial um, event. So we yeah we hope to try and include people as much as we can in what we're doing and you know help um, they can help us spread the word through their networks and we can you know keep them updated with everything we're doing so that they feel like they are making a difference by helping you know by partnering with us they really can feel like they're making a difference. Yeah, okay. You've answered mm. this question to a certain point already, but what, what, But I'd like to know a little bit more about why does Active Farmers matter? So why does an initiative like Active Farmers matter? What? Well, uh, yes, and it's it, you know, something I'm, I'm extremely passionate about and I think it matters because we are set up in a way that we bring regular group fitness classes two small farming communities that may not have much more than a corner store every single week delivered by a qualified personal trainer. And it doesn't matter if two people come, if five people come, if ten people come. Our philosophy is everyone matters and we're going to run those classes no matter what because if we add up two people across our whole network, I mean, that's nearly 50 people and they all matter. And so that, that in itself is not a financially sustainable model because we're paying our trainers to take the class and all the rest. But we still want to be able to do that um, because, as I mentioned, you know, everyone matters. And the moment you start saying, oh, you, we only run class if we get five people, well, then, mm. you know, what, what happens to those four people who come every week and it really matters to them Um so I think that's where we have a real point of difference. And, you know, we're, we're out on the ground every single week doing stuff in small farming communities. We're not just sort of flying in and out. Um, mm. But above all, um, we it's, it's actually created a really nice network of people now who really all understand the concept, and that is bringing small farming communities together so that they can work on physical health, catch up regularly, but... Everybody knows that, that makes you feel better and then that's naturally improving mental health and it's building resilience within our communities and, mm. and people obviously, I mean, I didn't, I knew there was a need, but I did not anticipate the extent of the need out there where people really are recognizing that something needs to be done for the health of people living in farming communities. Um, Given the high rates of of suicide and yeah. and that sort of thing, is there um, an understanding of the, the the high rates of suicide in those regions? Obviously, they are people uh, living there, but yeah. is, is... yes, uh, people know. Yeah, they definitely know. Yeah. Um, most people that I talk to, majority of people, will know someone 
who has taken their life to suicide or they have a friend or a family member. One of our one of our board members has lost six friends and she's thirty. Oh, goodness me. Okay. Yeah. So people know they yeah. they do. Um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. it. I, I think if you, you think about some, um, I guess, fitness classes, etc., in maybe sort of more urban areas, um, people might join up and then they they come in consistently. Uh, I guess what you're saying with active farmers, it's it's that consistent. Is the assist, consistency uh, of certain mornings uh, and being part of the mm-hmm. community and it's mm-hmm. obviously the exercise and it's the mental health and it's the belongingness, all of those thing, things are critical. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. The minute the minute we start stopping and starting classes because of concerns about not having enough people to cover costs, it becomes inconsistent and that's not sustainable for anybody. And so we know that we will have people drop out and come back and drop out and come back, given the nature of farming with harvest and sowing and shearing and what have you. But also um, people just do that. It's just natural human behaviour. But we don't have tens of thousands of people to get consistent numbers from a whole range of people. So that means that our numbers do fluctuate. But... Um, over time and observation, they do bounce back and drop off and bounce back. And, and so you, but you always have your hardcores who come every single time. Mm. And if you don't look after them, you know, then the whole thing falls over. But, and as I said, I really think that they, you know, just because they live in an area that doesn't have many services doesn't mean that they don't deserve access to something like this, which has huge benefits for, um, physical and mental health. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have some stories of of how active farmers has impacted some of the regions, either um, in terms of that sense of belonging, or some some stories of, of how it's helped a different community or a or an individual? Yeah. So there's a lot of stories that that I could talk about. Um, the most generic story is really somebody coming to class who hasn't traditionally exercised, and that has changed their life and become part of their life and when they feel better but also their family notice that they feel better and then also encourage kids to be more conscious about exercise and and the benefits. But um, one story that um, sticks out to my mind in particular is one that was published in the most recent Delta Ag Prospect magazine and that was about a farmer from Dunedoo. Uh, her farm was burnt out in a really severe bushfire last year and now they're in quite severe drought and she was going through a really tough time but found that being able to come to an active farmer's class regularly really helped her deal with that tough time. So it was, you know, her hour to get off the farm um, have some fun with some other people, do something for her, release some stress, um, and, and it just really helped her get through that difficult time. And, you know, if there wasn't a local trainer um, in that community which doesn't have much, well, maybe, you know, she would have found it a lot harder than, than she has already. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so and, and it, it is very much about it's it's... Active farmers is yes about the physical fitness, but it's about that. It's about that that connection and support and and being yes. part of that. Yeah, that, that's that's really did, did just 
do you um, yeah? I guess it's that, it's that sense of bringing that community to, to, together, isn't yeah. it? What What are the priorities for active farmers moving forward? So, what are the the things you need, uh, the support you need, or the like, what, where are the gaps? What are the things that you need uh, to to help to achieve your your goals? Yes, well, so our overall arching vision as a not for profit organisation is to build stronger and more resilient farming communities, and we currently are in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Tassie. We soon hope to be in South Australia with somebody. Um, so we, we, this is a national program and we want to be servicing 70 by June 30, 2020. But above that, we, we want to be able to start um, to start testing and, and observing the actual impact we're having on these communities because we really want to have you know max you know the, the best impact we possibly can so starting to survey our participants and and possibly doing you know annual health checks um, from all the participants will help us do that so we can really you know have a sound understanding of the impact that we're starting to have and, and make any amendments we need to con- continue to improve but you know, to do all of that, we do need partners um, because it is such a, a rapid expansion that's happening at the moment and that, you know, we, we do need partners to help us get there um, and to help us, you know, have these classes running consistently. That is key. But above all, the personal trainers are the most important part of, of the whole program. Um, we have a team of 20 and, you know, I don't take any credit for the success of what we've achieved. It's been 100% reliant on those trainers turning up every week to do their bit for their community and, and finding people like that is one of our biggest challenges. We've been extremely lucky so far, but, yeah, as you can appreciate, there's not an abundance of qualified personal trainers in every single small farming community, but, you know, People are finding are happy to become a trainer and get trained to be involved. So we've been very fortunate so far, but that's by far our biggest challenge. Yeah. So yeah. Do, do you identify a region and then go out looking for trainers or do you do the trainers come to you saying, I'd love to start up an active farmers in my region? Oh, it's really 50-50. So we either have someone in a community who hears about a program and they really, really want it and I'll say to them, okay, well, first thing we need to do is find a trainer and then they'll help me find a trainer. Um, Sometimes trainers get in touch and say, I'm a qualified personal trainer, here I am, here's my community, when can I start? And sometimes people get in touch with me and say, I'm not a trainer but I want to do this, what do I do? Um, So, yeah, it's probably a third of each really. Mm. Yeah. So when you come back to the partners, what, what, what partners do you need? What, where, where, are the, where are the gaps there or is it, is it purely financial or is it other partners? It's, it's financial largely, yes, but more, more than that is, you know, people within our partners, organisations being engaged in our program, helping promote it, helping encourage people to go to class if they have it in our community, coming along to community events. that We run, we run a lot of different health-related workshops as well. We'll do launch events. We'll do, you know, Christmas things. You know, coming along to those and encouraging people to go um, is also a really big part of it. So we don't just like to partner with people and say, um, 
can we have your money? We actually like them to be involved and feel engaged in what we're doing and we try to communicate with them as best we can um, so that it, it does become a partnership where everyone's invested in it mm. and that's a lot more successful than, than just purely financial. Um, yeah, and then, you know, then we do have some other other partnerships which is in-kind work, you know, accounting and that sort of thing, um, which is which is in-kind, yeah. Okay. Do you have a sense that in urban areas uh, the population and po- politicians understand the challenges of regional areas? I think... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good question. I, I, look, it depends on the people and their experiences. So, you know, some areas it's going to be fantastic and they do because maybe the politicians have grown up in a rural community, but um, a lot of the time, no. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you have this fly-in, fly-out approach where you may have an organisation come in for five minutes and run an event and then go, and that's their sort of, you know, that's their corporate social responsibility for the country, tick, done. Um, you know, we do see that a little bit, but... Definitely not in all cases. Definitely not. There, there are people in urban areas and there are politicians who do have a sound understanding and are really supportive of what we do. Um, and those people are really important to help us, you know, get the word out there and, and um, you know, find other opportunities for new partners or help promote what we're doing. Um, so that, that does form a really important part of it all. But to date, we don't have government funding. Mm. Okay. We, we started off uh, with you as a, a, a young girl and then a, and a Jillaroo. Uh, if we're thinking forward, so you've got two young children. How old are your children? Yeah, they have 12-month-old twins. Okay. So that actually, funny, funny thing happened was that I decided to start working with Delta and I, I decided to resign from my job at Rabobank and then two weeks later I found out I was pregnant so that didn't really go to plan and then I found out there were, that there were twins um, <laughs> but nothing ever happened in, in um, you know not, never's a good time for, for yeah, anything in life right. really um, yeah so no but they're, they're going really well yeah what, what, do you, what do you hope what are your hopes and dreams for the future for them Oh, for them, I hope that when when they grow up and leave school, there is a future for them to live in the country and to be on the farm if they want to be. But I just hope that by the time they are that age, there are still people living here and that the communities are happy, healthy, connected and resilient and that it still remains a great place to live. And, you know, I hope people still... <laughs> want to live out here because it is such a great place to be and you know we do need farmers to feed and clothe our country and the world and we need those people to be as I said happy healthy connected resilient um so that you know when when our twins are older uh, it'll still be a great place to live yeah and active farmers is doing a great job to to work towards that future it sounds like yeah, thank you. No, look, I, I think we really are starting to see that, you know, we are making a difference and as I said at the very start, I'm, I'm very passionate about it and, and our board are equally so, plus our team of amazing trainers. Um, so we're, we're doing our best. That's great. 
So how can people get in touch or follow you on social media, yourself or Active Farmers? What's the best way? Yeah, yep. so we do have social media accounts on Facebook and Instagram are what I use the most for Active Farmers. Um, so you can just type in Active Farmers and it will come up. And we have a website as well, which has all of our communities, all of our um, additional health providers that run workshops for us and, and our board members. Uh, so that's just activefarmers.com.au. So Facebook, Instagram and our website are the best way to get in touch. Okay. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, I just think don't, you know, get in touch. Don't hesitate to to reach out um, because, yeah, we, we want to be servicing as many communities as we possibly can and we need people to put their hand up and want, you know, be involved. So, yeah, please reach out if, if you are interested. Okay. Yeah, so, but thank you very much for having me. That's good. Thank you so much for joining us, Ginny, and um, have a good rest of the day and weekend. And all the best for your, your you twins. Much. I think you said they, they were unwell, so hopefully they sort of feel a bit better soon. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank all you, right. Jason. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Jason here to say goodbye. Until next time, please subscribe to Real People via iTunes, your favourite podcast platform. While you are there, please leave a review. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday, same time, emails on everything human-centred, customer-focused, entrepreneurialism and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Squareholes team, and special guests who have included Professor Barry Bergen, Christy Anthony, and Suet Anantula, please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list. You can also follow me, Jason Dunstone, on Twitter or your favourite social media. Thank you for listening. Uru. Uru.